Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Dan. We're going to get started. I think we owe it to you. We, we, since we started this conference so early in the morning, we should not delay. Uh, so welcome to the Cato Institute. I'm Dan Eikenson. I'm director of the Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies uh, here at Cato. Uh, and welcome to our long gestating conference, uh, which we have called, Will the Transatlantic Trade Investment Partnership Live Up to Its Promise? And well, on behalf of my colleagues and, and the 35 other participants, really, I want to thank you for choosing to spend your time on this most festive of federal holidays uh, here at the Cato Institute. Uh, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. We've really assembled an excellent group of experts. Uh, they sort of span the ideological spectrum, uh, the geographic spectrum, the age spectrum. Uh, so you're going to get a lot of different perspectives on a, on a lot of different matters. You know, it's been quite a week for trade policy uh, with the, the announcement last week of the completion of the TPP. It's been quite a year for trade policy, really. Uh, in the 15 years that I've been at Cato, I think this has been the most um, bubbling of years. We'll see where it all leads. But you know, the TTIP has long been presumed, presumed here to be dependent upon conclusion of the TPP or success of the TPP. And that was predicated on passage of Trade Promotion Authority. So we've, those steps have been taken. So I think we're about to embark on a really robust debate in the United States uh, about, about the TTIP. The debate has been going on in Europe. Um, I think maybe the Europeans are a bit frustrated that the American negotiators and the American public have been a little bit um, sidetracked or, or focused uh, on, on, on other issues. <clears throat> but uh, I think people are ready for this. Uh, it's um, ready to start talking about this. There are actually 345 people registered to attend this conference. Um, I guess some of them have slept in, but they will be here <laughs> at some point during the day, I, I hope. Uh, also, as evidence of the importance of this issue, C-SPAN is here, and C-SPAN is going to be uh, broadcasting this live today and, and recording it. So if any of you plans to leave early, I just want you to know in advance that your, your boss and your colleagues will know. They'll, they'll see it. They'll find out. So please stick with us. Um, so now that the TPP is done um, and, and this debate is about to happen, we wanted to sort of lay the table of what are the issues? There's a lot. This is complex. Um, we want to talk about some of the, you know, the traditional trade uh, negotiating issues that are on the table, as well as the, the broader complexities, the geopolitics. What does this mean for multilateralism, for the WTO? There's been a lot of debate about that. We're going to bring some of that to the fore here uh, today. Some people want to understand more clearly what this regulatory coherence business is all about. Uh, this is. Uh, said to be the source of the largest gains from a successful TTIP, but doesn't look like a whole lot of progress has been made or there's been a whole lot of uh, accord on how to proceed. Um, so we're going to do a deep dive on, on the regulatory coherence uh, issues at the end of the day. Uh, people ask, what are these economic models all about and are they important? And uh, we're going to have a, an event, a session on that toward, toward the end of the day as well. But it, you, you have the program. The, the information is available out uh, in, the, in the lobby. Also, uh, the participants in this conference were asked to write essays. And we've been published like approximately 1,500 word essays about any TTIP-related topic. And we've been publishing them uh, on our website. And we're, we will continue to do that through um, next week. Next week is the 10th the, the round of TTIP negotiations in, in Miami. So uh, we're going to sort of carry this over 
into that point. Um, just one other housekeeping remark. If anybody is inclined to tweet about anything going on here, you know, use the hashtag um, CatoTTIP, and that conversation will be memorialized, and people will be able to chime in from all over the world. So I want to introduce the person who's going to sort of set the table uh, on the issue. Uh, you all, I'm sure, know Sean Donnan. Uh, he is an excellent journalist. Uh, he understands economics keenly. And I like to use that word keenly when I'm talking about an English publication. That, that word is pretty prominent. Uh, he writes cogently and in a fair uh, and balanced manner. <clears throat> so Sean is the world trade editor at the Financial Times, uh, which really is the ultimate transatlantic newspaper. Uh, TTIP is right in the FT's wheelhouse, so he's the perfect person to set the table for us. Mm. In, in his capacity as world trade editor, uh, Sean leads uh, the FT's global coverage of trade and development issues. He follows the IMF. In fact, he's uh, such a sport that he got back last night from Peru where the IMF meetings were being held, and he's jumping right into this, so he's very versatile. Um, before assuming his current role as, uh, as World Trade Correspondent um, in, in 2013, Sean uh, was World News Editor at, at Financial Times, before that Deputy News Editor, and before that Asia World News Editor, uh, and he's put, had a lot of roles. He's working his way up to the top. He's, uh, uh, everybody who does trade policy knows Sean and likes to talk to him, and uh, I'm really happy that he's here to, to chat with us. Just, just a couple of other uh, points. Um, besides the Financial Times, some of the work that Sean does appears in other newspapers worldwide, including South China Morning Post, uh, the LA Times, Christian Science Monitor. Uh, Sean is a graduate of Boston University, uh, where he had a degree in international relations, uh, yet he still writes very well. And I'd like you to help me in welcoming Sean to the podium. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Dan. Um, I uh, uh, I will beg your forgiveness. Uh, as Dan said, I uh, am just off a uh, off a plane, so if I uh, get my acronyms mixed up uh, and start talking about the IMF or BEPS, uh, the the tax. Uh, 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 measures that were passed in or approved in, in, in Lima or start talking about the uh, emerging markets, uh, you'll know that I've got the wrong set of notes here. Uh, the um, uh, TTIP is, is, is uh, for those of you who follow me on, on, on Twitter, you'll know it, it's sort of a, a, an unhealthy obsession, um, as it is for, for, for some of you as well. Uh, it's something I've been following for the last two years. It clearly is uh, a, an immense uh, project. And I, I just thought I'd... I'd uh, but I think it's a it's a really interesting time uh, in TTIP because it's we're in that kind of uncomfortable middle uh, period. I think it's uh, we're, we're somewhere uh, in the just before the the halftime whistle goes, uh, and um, and I think it's it's valid. Uh, it's it's a good time to 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 sort of step back and and think about where we are, and that's what you're going to be doing today, and you're really going to be diving down into the issues. I thought I'd offer uh, four not entirely random thoughts uh, about TTIP uh, here. And this is the, how I think about it and, and, and also the conversations that I have with my editors who constantly say, so when's this thing going to get done? And is it going to get done? Uh, and uh, uh, should we, you know, where, what should we be writing about this? Um, and I think it's, it's um, so I'll, I'll start with really point one, which is, 
I think it's important to remember, and I think this sometimes gets lost in, in, in the discussion uh, of uh, the detail that you know TTIP is still uh, a valid endeavor. It's uh, uh, it's it's a big and valid endeavor. Uh, worth stepping back and thinking, okay, you know, th th this is a trade relationship uh, that is as important as it gets uh, in the world today. Uh, something like eight hundred billion dollars. Uh, worth of trade or more uh, uh, last year. Uh, and also, it's about the future of, of, of trade agreements and really uh, that issue of regulatory coherence that, uh, that Dan was referencing there, that, that, that tangle of, uh, of regulations that business uh, complains about um, and, and, and closing those, those non-tariff barriers that we've been writing about uh, for a long time. Uh, but it's also a, a, a sort of an interesting point in that in business, I think increasingly, uh, and this is not a phenomenon of the last year or two, but businesses are, are, are transatlantic nowadays. The, you know, the multinational corporation, which once was a, uh, an American or a European corporation that was reaching out across the world, is, is, is now increasingly a transatlantic one. Uh, great examples in, in, in Fiat and Chrysler and GM and the auto industry in the industry there. Um, I also think the valid endeavor is, uh, goes beyond the, 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 the bilateral or the transatlantic relationship, and really it's, that, uh, uh, it's thinking of it in the context of uh, the WTO uh, and, uh, and global trade liberalization uh, efforts uh, and the TPP. I, uh, Jagdish Bhagwati had the noodle bowl theory of, of, of trade that all these FTAs in the world were going to complicate the world and, and create a tangle of, of noodles. I'd like to patent uh, the ravioli th uh, theory of trade, uh, and that is that we are now in this ravioli, and if I'm in Asia, I call it the dumpling theory of trade. Uh, uh, we are seeing a series of, of mega regional agreements that are that are being uh, uh, written or negotiated, and that eventually, someday, uh, they will become the great lasagna uh, that is uh, the, the big global multilateral deal. Um, uh, again, I'm patenting that, so if you use it, please. Uh, the, um, um, I, and, and I think that's a long-term project. I mean, it's, uh, but clearly, when you talk to uh, people in the U.S. administration, uh, part of the reasoning behind the launch of TPP and also TTIP uh, was about getting something happening uh, in the realm of trade liberalization and moving beyond uh, the kind of paralysis that you have in the Doha round uh, now. So I, I think that's an important uh, context there. TTIP uh, is also a geopolitical uh, uh, agreement, uh, I would argue, and that's partly because of my background in international relations that Dan pointed to. Uh, but the, um, uh, I, and I think the geopolitics are as valid for TTIP as they are for TPP. People talk about TPP in the context of China. I think TTIP uh, uh, is equally valid in, in, in that context, particularly with what's happening in Russia uh, nowadays in Ukraine. So I would, I, you know, these are to me the the, the three big uh, pillars of why this remains um, a valid endeavor. Uh, the second point that I think about is that is that great uh, question I get from my editors, which is, okay, this is big. Can you actually get it done, or can they actually get it done? 
and if so, when? Uh, and when you're in the daily news business, this sometimes turns into a slightly depressing conversation. Um, I think the question, you know, the, the answer that I offer my, my, my editors nowadays is yes, it'll get done, but probably not anytime soon. And that may not be uh, the answer that some people in, in, in business and, and others who have a shorter um, horizon of thinking uh, uh, may want to hear. But I, I, I do think that increasingly, in my mind, uh, it's hard to see this getting done uh, during the Obama administration. And that raises all sorts of uh, interesting questions. Um, I think they're going to try to get it done. Clearly, they are trying to get it done. Mike Froman and Cecilia Malmstrom recently agreed to accelerate uh, the negotiations. Uh, but really, everything has to go incredibly smoothly to get even close. And as one senior official involved uh, told me when we talked after the, 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 the Froman-Malmstrom meeting uh, recently, really, what we're laying out in front of us just gets us to the mid-game. And I think that is uh, something that is important, especially in the context, and I use TPP as a reference point. TPP, for those of us who cover it, uh, it's been a, a joke that this thing has been in the end game for two years. Uh, if TTIP is only just getting to the mid game, uh, you know, we've got a, 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 a long road ahead there. Um, there's a couple of reasons why um, I, I, I think um, this is is going to struggle to get done in the Obama administration. One is the complexity of the deal. Um, I think a lot of the conversations feel still like they're only just getting started, um, even though it's been uh, two years. And I think that's, that's, that's interesting. Uh, the uh, other point is I, I, I still think for the US administration, TPP is going to take a lot of energy uh, to get through Congress uh, in the next, to close, to scrub, to get the text out. Uh, uh, to sell politically, uh, the administration is really going to be focused on that over the next uh, year or so. I don't think it's a zero-sum game, and, and clearly the, the folks at USTR have argued for a long time that they can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, but uh, there's a question of attention uh, and political pressure as well. I think one of the things you, you've seen in TPP is uh, sort of a building urgency uh, over the last two years, for most of the last six to nine months, if not year, uh, the TPP negotiators have been meeting weekly, essentially, uh, in, in intercessional agreements. Uh, they've been on the phone. They've been closing. If you, uh, you know, especially uh, the U.S. and J Japan negotiators uh, have been on the road constantly for 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 most of the last year. Um, so, and I don't see that in TTIP uh, right now. I may be missing something, but I, I, I just don't see that accelerated schedule there. I think this, the, the other point is that um, the political timeline ahead uh, is getting very interesting. Um, I don't think in 2016 uh, TTIP is going to draw quite uh, the opposition or, or, or the heated debate that TPP is here in the US uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but I'm not sure that in the context of the anti-trade rhetoric we're hearing uh, on both sides, uh, in both parties uh, right now, uh, that 
even a deal with Europe uh, is going to be immune uh, to, to, to that or some kind of blowback. Uh, you know, the, the, there's an argument that Putin's new Syrian endeavor and, uh, and uh, uh, his other adventurism uh, in Ukraine and so on could help make that geopolitics case uh, in the Congress. But then there's also, uh, I, I, I keep wondering, and I was thinking about this on the plane last night, although not for that long, uh, I wonder what Donald Trump would make of TTIP. Uh, if, uh, uh, if TPP is a disaster, uh, uh, what would we think of, um, uh, of TTIP? And, I, and, and I, could, I came up with some fun quotes that uh, I was sort of imagining him then speaking, and then I switched off and moved on to something else. But, they, uh, they, they, uh, uh, but clearly there's, uh, there's a potential grist there. Uh, but I think 2017 is the more important uh, uh, year in terms of the political timeline. And this gets into why uh, I don't think uh, it'll get done in the Obama administration as well. And that has more to do with European politics uh, rather than here domestically. And that is you have three monumental votes uh, in Europe uh, in uh, 2017, and that is the German election, national election, French uh, presidential election, and uh, I think equally importantly, the UK referendum uh, on whether or not to be in the uh, remain in the EU. Uh, in each of those elections, uh, I would expect TTIP will be uh, uh, an issue that will be vigorously uh, debated. There were 150,000, 200,000 people in the streets of Berlin uh, on Saturday protesting against TTIP. Uh, that tells you that certainly there are people who feel strongly about this in Germany. Uh, Angela Merkel has been um, treading very carefully on this. Sigmar Gabriel, uh, her coalition partner, even more so, arguably. Um, but, you know, across Europe, there are now three million signatures on a petition against um, TTIP, uh, and that's starting to become a, a, a big number. I also think that sort of vocal opposition uh, is bleeding into a kind of broader skepticism about TTIP uh, that I hear uh, from some of my colleagues who are asking me as Europeans as much as, uh, as economic journalists, um, but also hear from, uh, from others uh, in the quiet center now. And I think that is uh, really, um, really important. Uh, I also think um, uh, the leaders uh, in each of those elections or votes is politically savvy enough to know that um, there is a risk um, uh, for them in this debate. I think the third uh, random thought is that the barriers or stumbling blocks are just not going away. Um, and in fact, they're arguably multiplying uh, in, in different ways. We've long talked about the Snowden effect uh, on, uh, on data uh, and the discussion there, the kind of how it adds to the suspicion across the Atlantic, uh, particularly in Germany. Uh, I think, you know, that is still there. I also think the safe harbor decision that we saw recently uh, from the top court in Europe, uh, it's not technically part of uh, TTIP, but it's emblematic of a, of a, of a broader suspicion. And uh, uh, there, I think that's um, a broader suspicion, but also a, a sort of 
a combination of jealousy and angst uh, that you see in Europe now when it comes to the issue of innovation uh, and technology companies, uh, which I think is really interesting and I think will shadow the talks. GMOs, uh, the decision by the European Commission earlier this year to allow member states uh, to opt out of any decision uh, is, is important. It's a recommendation. It's not a firm decision, but clearly it tells you a lot about the European Commission and how they're going to handle the politics. Uh, the ISDS, and I can't believe I've gotten this far uh, without mentioning ISDS, uh, the investor state dispute settlement uh, mechanism and all of the heat around that. Uh, I think there is a view in, in Brussels uh, that they have come up with a solution uh, with a, a recent proposal uh, for a wholesale rewriting of the system. Uh, I think you only have to look at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's uh, incredibly rapid uh, response to that, uh, um, uh, negative response uh, to that proposal uh, to see why that may be more difficult um, than the Europeans think in terms of the negotiations. Uh, it has two main points, I, as far as I can tell. Uh, the creation of an international court uh, with sitting judges to hear uh, investment cases. It sounds a lot like ICSID uh, to me, uh, a multilateral institution that will hear these investment disputes. Uh, clearly, uh, ICSID. Uh, among opponents is a, is a poison brand, uh, so the Europeans want to come up with something entirely fresh. And the second thing is, a, is an appellate function uh, for uh, investment cases uh, that would allow governments uh, to, to go before a, a panel of sitting judges. I think both fit in very much with this uh, European idea that uh, the answer to a problem is often to set up a new institution. Uh, I don't think that goes down so well. Uh, well, particularly in places like this, uh, the um, um, uh, and here in Washington more broadly, I think there's you know there's there's myriad other questions uh, out there that are that are building. There's big questions on whether financial services will be included or not. These are things that should have been answered uh, some time ago. I would have thought. Um, that said, I, I did say yes. I think this is going to happen, and that brings me to sort of my fourth and. And, and final point, and that is uh, both sides want it to happen at the political level, certainly. Um, so what has to change for it to happen? Uh, and I think that is uh, something that the negotiators on both sides uh, have been thinking about a lot and were discussing uh, during that recent meeting. I'm not sure they've got all the answers, but the, um, uh, clearly something has to happen uh, to get some kind of new momentum uh, behind TTIP. I think the first thing is really a recalibration of the, of, 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 of the endeavor. Um, is this the uh, big totemic catch-all agreement uh, that uh, a lot of its advocates uh, have sought? Should it be that? Um, there were people... Uh, when I was still based in London, who would talk about TTIP as the beginning of a, of a transatlantic, um, um, uh, basically a, a growth of the European Union across the Atlantic, and that it would become a single economy, a single market uh, across the Atlantic. I'm not sure uh, that TTIP, uh, given the current challenges, will get you there. Uh, that may be a, a good long-term goal, but it's not um, where this is heading. I think particularly... 
uh, with what is happening uh, in the EU and the suspicion within the EU of the EU itself uh, and, and, and its role. Uh, so I think that's uh, one point of recalibration. So do you focus instead on something that focuses on tariffs, services, uh, maybe some gov government procurement uh, uh, lines? Uh, do you um, turn the regulation project into a longer-term project? Uh, uh, people have talked about TTIP. I think there's, there's two lines that immediately come to mind with TTIP. One was the, let's get this done on a single tank of gas. That has gone away, although the argument now is perhaps we're with an electric car instead of a, uh, a, 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 a gas guzzler. Uh, and after VW, certainly not a diesel. Uh, the, um, um, the, um, but, uh, you know, I think there's, there's people, and, and Matteo Renzi was making this point uh, uh, a year or more ago, uh, that we should, there's a kind of early harvest deal to be had, and that regulation is, given its complexity, should be viewed as a longer-term project. Um, I think there's, you know, there's, when I talk on uh, or, or, or li listen or ask questions on, on, on regulation, it is still striking to me how much uh, the, the question of, of regulation on things like food and auto safety and, and so on is a, a kind of a Mars and Venus uh, thing. Uh, and I'm not sure you solve that um, in, a, in a trade agreement kind of immediately. Uh, the second point is, is to really accelerate negotiations. I think right now we will see next week an exchange of new tariff offers. This is only the second exchange of tariff offers, and I think that's telling. It's been two years. Uh, the first one didn't go so well. They've both agreed to uh, uh, set a 97% uh, threshold, uh, uh, and so turn this into a negotiation over the remaining 3% of uh, sensitive tariff lines. Um, but if you're going to go into closing mode in 2016, you need to be meeting more quickly than they are planning to at this point. So tariff offers in uh, next week, and then a procurement offers in February. Um, that already takes you into the spring almost. Um, I think the second point is uh, European leaders uh, need to handle the politics better, and they need to uh, uh, be braver if they want to get this done. Uh, and I haven't seen any signs of that, particularly from the European Commission, which I think is, has been a much more uh, political uh, animal uh, under uh, Jean-Claude Juncker than it was under Mr. Barroso. Um, I think um, one of my questions is, when Cecilia Malmstrom took over, and particularly on the investment issue, I started thinking of her as engaging in the kind of rope-a-dope maneuver of I'm going to listen, listen, listen and, uh, to, uh, uh, to all the opponents uh, and then uh, try and wear them out that way. I don't think that's worked. Um, uh, clearly, uh, we saw that on Saturday in Berlin. Um, I think, and this may be a provocative point, um, Americans need to be better in the context of this, of this negotiation at proving their Europeanness. Um, uh, which again is not a comfortable uh, 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 admission for some parts of the uh, uh, of the, the polity here, uh, but I've I've been away for 17 years and I've just come back and I am struck by how America has changed in a number of ways, uh, and uh, how the traditional uh, narrative on uh, our different economies and how we regulate uh, uh, has changed. And I think actually the VW example. 
is, is, is a great one. It upends the narrative uh, uh, that somehow Europe is greener um, than the U.S. when it comes to cars. Uh, I think the food culture change here is remarkable. The idea that McDonald's is now uh, uh, deciding not to use any antibiotic uh, uh, treated uh, meat or any hormone fed uh, uh, chicken or beef uh, is important and it's, the, and it's important in the context of TTIP because these are exactly the sort of things uh, that European consumers uh, think about when they think about TTIP, uh, the famous chlorinated chicken. Um, so I think I'll stop there. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you chew on that uh, 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 on that idea, on that chicken, if you want, uh, or 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 those freedom fries, if you prefer. Uh, the um, um, I and, and and just stop with that point. You you really have an interesting day ahead of you. Uh, a at, at an interesting point uh, in, in in this negotiation. Um, I think this deal is going to get done. Um, <laughs> But I really do think some things have to change uh, in, in, in the dynamics uh, for it to get done. Thank you.